소파게 Are these on? Progress. Mm. You want to start, uh, Maestro? Uh, okay. Before, Hi. <laughs> before, before you start, I just want to thank everybody for hanging around upstairs and being so patient in the heat. And what the hell? I'm quickly going to thank people. Sorry. <laughs> we do this with every live episode. We want to, it takes a lot of people to put this show on. Sean Marrick is here, flew in from L.A., our West Coast producer. Jessica Wynn, our photographer, is here. Uh, Maria Spertolozzi. How'd I do, Maria? Paul Rayburn, our researcher. John Fodiatis, Renaissance man, theme song composer. Gino Salamone is here, our, our, uh, our guru. Brendan Bliss, very talented animator. The great Joe McGinty is in the house, our guest keyboardist. Also, we want to thank Je- Jeremy Wayne and An- uh, Andrea Simmons uh, of the Podfest. Mike McPadden, Darren Foster, John Seals, Frank Verderosa. My very patient wife, Genevieve. And, last but not least, my partner in crime, Dara Gottfried. And now... (laughs) Sorry about that. You have to thank the people. Hi, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) And this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here once again with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we are recording at Cake Shop in New York City. Our guest this week is a comedian, actor, author, comedy writer, and one of the most popular and admired talk show hosts in television history. In his six-year career, he's appeared on dozens of... Six decade. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. People can... He's been around longer than six years. I I stopped listening to him after six years. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, it's six decades. Or maybe it was six years, but it just felt like six decades. He's appeared on dozens of TV shows, including The Odd Couple, Cheers, The Simpsons, acted in movies like Annie Hall and Beetlejuice, and worked alongside legendary performers Woody Allen, Jack Parr, Johnny Carson, Jerry Lewis, and Mel Brooks. He's also authored four books, including Cavett, Ion Cavett, talk show, and his latest book, Brief Encounters, Conversations, Magic Moments, and Assorted Hijinks. But he's best known to generations of TV viewers as the host of several memorable talk shows featuring interviews with a who's who of entertainment icons, including Katherine Hepburn, Orson Welles, John Lennon, Marlon Brando, Janis Joplin, Alfred Hitchcock, and his personal hero, Groucho Marx. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and as far as we know, he's the only talk show host in history to have a guest drop dead live on the air. Please welcome back to the show our very first podcast guest and a national treasure, Dick Cavett. got a two-person standing ovation. <laughs> wow. Hey, I, back there, I thought I heard you say something about my six-minute career. Or yes. Yeah. Well, that's what I was hoping it was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So what's yours, a six-syllable? <laughs> <laughs> it's finally where someone made, made Gilbert laugh. I think that's it. Uh, we're old uh, buddies in this crazy business of ours and um <laughs> should i tell them the shocking secret now oh sure we're related <laughs> yeah his really his father and my father had different wives <laughs> i don't know what i'm talking about where did you meet didn't you follow him around at, a, at an event uh, yes yes yeah. yeah but what was it it was uh well there was a place where you Showed me where you could get a free chocolate. Oh, that milk. well, I met, I knew you before then. Yeah, but where was I remember we at Caroline's, I showed you where we could get like a it, chocolate malted. Yeah, and it, we were both standing there with two giant glasses yeah. of chocolate malted, and and I remember Bob Saget walked in and said, "Are you two about to be executed?" <laughs> <laughs> We may get that tonight. Yeah. You know? Now, who knows? I re where I did follow you around, right? It's you. You used to have on Groucho Marx. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, all and, the time. <laughs> <laughs> he got off one night. But. Yeah. And um, I, I remember I followed you around doing my Groucho imitation. He can drive me up the next room's Here. wall. With, uh, Here, his, I, I've even prepared. Wow, he brought a prop. Look at this. <laughs> he brought a prop. <laughs> oh, come on, Gilbert, do it. <laughs> oh God. You know, when whenever people ask me why they shouldn't smoke, I always say. Visit my friend Nunnally Johnson. <laughs> this is the hospital. this is the elder Groucho. Nunnally <laughs> Johnson. You know, I I wasn't supposed to be in love happy, but we did it because Chico needed the money. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. 
<laughs> Ever since songwriters started writing songs, they have written songs about the rose. Red roses, blue roses, old roses, new roses, roses from the northeast, south and west. west. Yeah. But here's the rose song that I love the best. I hope he's watching somewhere. <laughs> Show me a rose and I'll show you a girl who cares. Show me a rose or leave me alone. Show me a rose and I'll show you a stag at bay. <laughs> you know, he doesn't get a prop out for anybody, Dick. No, I never. It's a, a little that, more yeah. Curtis Lewa than Groucho, but yeah, yeah. we'll allow it. Well, that that sort of put me away. <laughs> it was it's an interesting thing if if it's not a bad idea to talk semi seriously for a second. I, I, the la, the one time I was sitting there, one of many times, but he was here, I was here, the audience is out there, and somebody said something, maybe I did, and he did a brilliant ad lib that just brought the house down. But what I noticed was. He was surprised by it, too. <laughs> Do you know what I'm trying to say? It wasn't, he thought, I'll say this, boom. It was, if the word needed was garbage. What do you think they brought in? And Groucho said, garbage? <laughs> and he didn't laugh. Everybody did. That was the other buddy. But it, I'm fascinated with the fact that his witty remarks were a reflex, not a thought and then a joke. That's quieted the place pretty much. <laughs> well, this has been Dick Cameron. This is the end of his six-year career. <laughs> it was a little like that. But, you know, if you want me out of here, do your Groucho again. So he was, he was surprised by his own ad-lib, Groucho. He, he was surprised by his own ad-lib. Yes. <laughs> oh, that, that's a better way of putting it. I yeah. remember <laughs> Alexandra Lecott. <laughs> Is he still doing it? As long as we're, as long as we're talking about Groucho, 44 years ago this month, what happened? You introduced Groucho at Carnegie Hall. It was, 44 years? Yeah, it was May of 1972. Do I have the math right? So it has been longer than six years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I must have been in the business then to do that. And you were anxious that night, weren't you? I was anxious uh, in that <clears throat> I thought he might die. Um, <laughs> He was very uh, f feeble that night, and he wasn't always, but he seemed just enervated. He was lying on the couch in the dressing room, and I thought, is this going to be like some awful thing out of the Blue Angel or something? <clears throat> and the, the wretched Aaron Fleming, uh, I mean the lovely Aaron Fleming. <laughs> uh, what, how could I say that? Uh, would not cancel because she wanted to be on stage at Carnegie Hall. And he came alive. Luckily. But the most touching thing about that night was it was sold out, of course, Carnegie Hall. It was at the peak of the brothers' fame and um, being worshipped on every campus. Every... You went to a Marx festival. There were lines around the block who didn't get in. And on this night at Carnegie Hall, there was, this was in the time of Vietnam and all that stuff, these very nice kids of that time came dressed, at least a dozen or 
20 of them as Groucho or Chico, one Harpo and no Zeppos. No Zeppos. <laughs> no Gummos. Well, Groucho said with Zeppo, our act was worth a million dollars, and without him, it was worth two million. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> didn't you have a chance to interview Zeppo and you didn't get him because the network didn't want to pay the, the three grand? How do you know shit like this? Ah, uh, you know, Dick. <laughs> I put a lot That's of time exactly in, That's exactly what it... No, no, actually, it was less legal than that. Uh, we were going to pay, pay him this double scale. That's still within the law, I guess. But he wanted 5000 He was wonderful to talk to on the phone. And he said, you know, I'm happy here. I've got my boat. I'm in Vegas. And uh, why would I need to come to town? But he said, you know, I've got stories that nobody has. And none of us will ever hear them. Yeah. <laughs> because somebody didn't want to pay the five grand. Now I wish I kick myself. I, I talked to Gummo. How many people can say that? Wow. <laughs> on the phone from my office at the Tonight Show, Jack Parr. And I thought Groucho didn't seem like the kind of person who would put me on like this because it was absolutely Groucho's voice. And yet it was Gummo. Now, why if two boys out of five would have the same voice? I don't know. Groucho's mother called him uh, De Dunkler. They spoke a lot of German around us. The Dark One. She didn't like him very much. He read a lot, which is, of course... Suspicious, always. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, especially among uh, Trump voters. But, um, <laughs> oh, look at the people leaving. <laughs> and uh, he, he was alone a lot. He, they played games out and played baseball and stuff. But he would be in reading Spengler or something at an early age. And uh, I, I asked about his mother once. And, and Harpo, I, I don't know why, I just sort of guessed, would Harpo be the, her favorite? He said, in a way, she wa he was. And you know, Harpo inherited all my mother's good qualities. Everybody loved Harpo. And that's why we say, when you're smiling. <laughs> well, I can quiet a room. You know, I was in the audience at Carnegie Hall. Oh, were you there? You yeah. never oh, told yeah. me that. Yeah. It's great. I waved to you. Was, was that you? I was eight, maybe. In 72? Yeah. Wow. With the wow. Martin Hamlish and the whole thing. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I, my wife said, don't tell Gilbert all things you've told him before. But I don't remember what, anything I've told you before. But I, the other day, I realized, here's a Groucho moment that I had completely forgotten. It's quick. Way back in uh, whatever. Oh, I know. It was a large book from, from a premiere party. And the man had written the book about the Rothschilds. Remember, it was out like, 30, 40 years ago. And Phyllis Newman, it was, brought him over to me and Groucho, where we were standing. And she said... Uh, Groucho, I want you to meet Philip or whatever. He wrote The Rothschilds, and Groucho said, did they answer? It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Why didn't we think of that? <laughs> so what were your dealings with Aaron Fleming, the woman? <laughs> does, it, does, does everybody know who Aaron Fleming was? Anybody hands, show of hands? Uh, yeah. she, 
She's the mixed blessing who came into Groucho's life at a time when he felt forgotten and was somewhat and lonely and would walk his dog hoping the neighbors would invite him in for dinner and things and uh, talk to strangers on the street for somebody to talk to. And um, Erin, an actress, Canadian, rather vivacious looking in her prime, uh, latched on like a lamprey to Groucho <laughs> and... Um, one of the Lamprey girls. <laughs> and uh, and it, it, was, it was wonderful and awful. Um, but she is the reason there was a Carnegie Hall concert. She got him out of bed and sitting around depressed during the day and got him on stage and um, brought him a long way back toward life. She was also a druggie and a bitch. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, had a few bad qualities as well. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, uh, if you want to, you can, I'm pretty sure, Google on YouTube a show with, that, where Groucho came on my show with Aaron. Oh, Fleming. yeah. It's up you there. You know that. It's up there. And you can see that she's, as ad agency weirds used to say, a tad mad. Um, and a friend of ours, Steve Stoller, has written a book called Raised Eyebrows. How's it go? My, my two years inside Groucho's house. Groucho and he met at a college event at UCLA, I think, and uh, Groucho took a shine to him and said, uh, Steve obviously knew everything about the brothers. And, and so he got to work in Groucho's house for two years, and he wrote a really readable, good account of that called Raised Eyebrows. And we've had Steve on the show. Yeah, yeah. I heard you had yeah, a great, great time. It's a great read for and Groucho you did, fans. You, the two of these guys did, uh, oh, the most famous movie stars. Uh, they can both do voices, genius. I hear you did Shepard Stradwick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ian, did you... You do Shepard Strudwick? And Ian Wolfe? I, I, I opened with that. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Oh, God, you knocked me out the first time I ever saw you. I didn't know what I was getting in for. A friend of mine had seen you. He took you out of the club. And the highlight for me was you did a faultless Claude Rains. <laughs> wow. Come I on, Gil, let's hear your Claude people Rains. People were on. Oh, you can't force a guy to do it. Wait a minute. Let me hear. Let me. Let me let me do my Claude oh, Rains. Go ahead, go ahead. So you can see how good his is. Let me think of a line from Claude Rains. Oh, um, oh, no, no, no. You've stolen my concerto. <laughs> Something like that. I'm sorry. And now the real Claude Rains, man. <laughs> that funny little hat. I always liked it on you. Remember what movie that's from? Uh, uh, the greatest story ever told. No, The Invisible Man. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Wow. Hey, I've got a Claude Rains trivia question. Shall I do it? <laughs> oh, oh, I, I, oh, power to make the world gruffle at my feet. It's a little Sydney Green yeah. Street. There was something. Yeah. Claude Rains was short. I, I didn't mean to say that around here, but um, he, he was... He was short. He was. He hated being short. Peter Dinklage also. Yeah. <laughs> he and Claude Rains together make Ray Milland <laughs> or something. I love Peter Dinklage, even if he's here. 
<laughs> Not a chance. Oh. Were you going to say stand up, admit it? Wait, no. Uh, you told a story when you were a kid in Nebraska and your mother called you into the house to listen. <laughs> that happened twice. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, it was to listen to oh. the radio. Yeah, this, this will date me. My Please, little someone friend. will thank you. Uh, yeah. how, how do you make the I surrender gesture? <laughs> this will date you. I, yes. I've never heard anybody joke on that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, you will be able to guess the year and with among my next uh, 12 words. I want you kids to come inside and listen to the radio You'll understand this someday. The Japs have bombed Pearl Harbor and gotten us into the war. And we were little kids, and I thought, who are the Japs? What, who is Pearl Harbor? Because uh, there was a Pearl Wilson living next door. And what is the war? The war, what? I hadn't seen Duck Soup yet, and I, I, I didn't know... Uh, what to make of this? Sunday, interrupting a concert. And the next five years were uh, us and the Japs. I'm sorry to the Japs sitting here. I, uh, <laughs> and, and you said your mother said it was going to be bad. Oh, yeah, actually, it was either my aunt or my mother who were teachers. And one of them said, when this is starting now, the kids in junior high now are going to get the worst of this. And it was totally accurate. And many of them were killed. Um, hard to remember. I think people say this can't be true. Describing, um, you're not old enough to remember this, describing propaganda posters that were in the, po in the uh, post office. Slap a jap for the... And the illustration would be... Japanese figures, because you knew by their face that they had round glasses and buck teeth the size of dominoes, and they were, had rat bodies, and they were coming out of a sewer. And they were, that was typical. There are many, many, along with the loose lip sync shifts. But I remember James Agee, in an essay at the time, uh, said, I sometimes wonder what the effect of this racism will be when... Will we pay for it when the war is over and so on and so on? Kind of astute comment for the time. James Agee, uh, what do you write? Um, a Death in the Family. Death in the Family. Yeah, yeah. He wrote in, in another essay. And a, and a screenplay. Night of the oh, Hunter. Oh, and screenplay. Night of the Hunter. Yeah, that's right. Was that Agee? Yeah. Oh, gee, I wish I'd known him. He, um, he said about Groucho, I sometimes worry if everyone in the audience gets his weirdest curves, meaning they're too complex in some ways. This isn't the starkest example. And slap me if I've told it to you before. I, I, I don't need a reason to slap you. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I go on or what? You, 
you're sitting over the alligator pit. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> what was I talking about? Can I ask Did you I, something that Steve Stolier sent us? Yeah, but it'll drive me crazy that what you asked me just before I started. We're oh, curved. Gra- thank you, my dear. I'd marry you if whoever you are. Thank uh, you, Martha. Dry, um, I, I rent a car, Beverly Hills, had dinner with the two gentlemen about the name. One was Julius H. Marks, better known to you as Groucho, and the great Harry Ruby. If you can ever see a rerun of one of Groucho's You Bet Your Life with Harry Ruby, very sad face, great songwriter, you know, three little words in sure. almost every song you can think of. One of the most lovable, funny, dry, great men. But anyway, I thought, I wish to hell I weren't driving this car and had a tape recorder, because they were chatting, two great old-time legends. We stopped at a light, I think maybe on Sunset, and I heard Groucho say, uh, that building there, that's where your son lives, Harry. And Harry Ruby said, no, he doesn't, Groucho. He said, yeah, that building right on the corner, that's where your son lives. And he said, my son does not live there, Groucho. He lives way over on Wiltshire. Here comes the weird curve. And Groucho said, well, that's funny. I I ran into him last week, and he never mentioned not living there. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) I like that. Now, you you never met Chico. No, I wish I had. Did you? Or did you ever meet any of the brothers? No. Yeah. Well, I, Ch- Chico I died saw, in 61. Yeah, I saw yeah. one clip of Chico being interviewed, and he had on the full outfit. He was on yeah. some English talk show. And I thought the way I, I wasn't sure if he uh, was trying to do Chico, but not, but not having the energy or trying to talk normally and falling into Chico, but you could definitely hear traces of a person other than like that. A man other than Chico, Like a a New York guy. Oh, I would love to see that. Leonard Marks. Yeah. 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 Wasn't there a a lost episode? Isn't one of the Lost Cabot episodes Groucho and Harry Ruby? Yes, I'm sorry to keep bringing up mummers here. brought me down to the floor. (laughs) Um... My morning show, two weeks in Hollywood, and they said, you're going to enjoy Friday. We've got Groucho Marx and Harry Ruby. Somehow, um, now in that time, ABC, in um, saving a little money, we learned scandalously, was as soon as those shows were taped in the morning, they took them out and ran them through the machine taping Let's Make a Deal. Ooh. That Hard treasure pressure. is gone, and many more. Uh, yeah, that's awful. And the sons of bitches who do that have no compunctions about it. Johnny nearly got a assault rifle and went into NBC in New York when they when he learned they had eighty six his I think his entire New York run. Well, um, what's his name? Uh, oh, Koufax, Ernie Koufax. Ernie Koufax. Uh, Ernie Kovacs, yeah. yeah. They, they, I, I oh. heard a story. They called his wife, uh, Edie, Dr. Adams. Edie Adams. Edie Adams. And uh, they, somebody said, I, I work here at the station. He said, come here right away. They're destroying all of his shows. Jesus. Yeah, I've heard that story too. 
I've never heard that particular one, but I know a friend of mine, the same plot sort of, said, uh, come over here to NBC. In fact, yeah, don't, just get here. And they got there, and this guy's, guy's friend said, I'm gonna, I, had to, I gotta quit this job. I just erased George S. Kaufman's first appearance on The Tonight Show, which was stunning. And as Groucho aged, he never did what a lot of old men do, tell you things you have to pretend you haven't heard before. He never did that, never did that, except once. And I can still hear it. It was, um, uh, did I ever tell you the greatest compliment I ever got? And I said, no. The greatest compliment I ever got was George Kaufman said to me, Groucho, you're the only actor I'd ever let ad lib in something I wrote. Kaufman, the great writer, plays director. Once I asked Groucho, what sort of things do you remember Kaufman saying that you liked? And he said um, his advice to his daughter. I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> I said, what was it? And he said, sample everything in life except incest and folk dancing. <laughs> I love that one. Did that offend anyone? <laughs> can, I, can I make a strange turn, one of those strange turns, Dick, that you yeah. were just talking about? Uh, maybe you want to comment on one of these. I asked Steve Stolier, your friend and ours, if he had any questions for you. He said, ask Dick, if you oh. want to field one of these, ask Dick about Pat McCormick and the leg braces. Or, does that ring a bell? Oh, uh, yeah. Is it too... Uh, I'm not capable of describing who Pat McCormick was, if you don't know, but I hope so. You guys know who Pat McCormick was. Um, what was he in with Burt Reynolds? Those, uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. yeah, He was the tall Paul Williams. Yeah, they, they, they would always team him with Paul Williams. Right. But he, yeah, was a, he was a writer yeah, for The too. Tonight Show, most famously. In a... Maybe the funniest man I've ever been around. I mean, you can't get any funnier. Well, maybe Jonathan Winters and a few others. But uh, Pat did outrageous things, and he got away with them because he was 6'5 or something, and this great Irish, wonderful, almost baby-like face when he wanted it to be that way. And you had to get used to being with Pat because you'd be walking down 6th Avenue and there'd be a, a, a man coming, struggling along on crutches, and Pat would go, hee-hee. Oh. <laughs> um, now, which of us would never think of that? My, but they were witty things. Once we were, actually was Sixth Avenue. Pat and da the great David Lord and I were the writing staff of the Merv Griffin Show, and we just had lunch. And we'd, we were sensitive to what Pat would do and flinch if we saw a nun coming or something. <laughs> just got, or, and, or someone over 400 pounds. And uh, here's one. A man came our way along Sixth Avenue and I didn't see him, but David went like this to distract Pat. Pat, look. But this man was wearing an old-fashioned iron leg brace and clumping and clanking along with it. And as yet, Pat hadn't seen him. And then David went, oh, no. Sheer coincidence. Ten feet behind him came another man wearing an iron <laughs> leg brace. No connection. And Pat said, is this the way to the FDR rummage sale? <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
And, oh, and the other one. Another, <laughs> I love that. Another one was uh, that others have claimed was Pat, he had a thing about Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, and it had to do with uh, personal hygiene, as I recall. He said when, what was the gum that was supposed to help your breath, that little box that rattled? Uh, oh, uh, sen- uh, Sensen? No, but that's all right. Yeah. Uh, let, let's say it was Sensen. When, uh, when Ernie opens a Sensen package, a white flag comes out. <laughs> but the masterpiece of all, his breath could start the painting. I mean, I don't want to take any chance on getting it. Maybe I went through to myself in my mind. Two, three, four. Oh, yeah. His breath could start the windmill in an old Dutch painting. <laughs> While we wait for Gilbert to find the men's room, (laughs) we promise we'll come back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Don't go away. And now back to the show. I I urge our listeners to look up Pat McCormick. Now, now I, I have to know. If, if me and my friends are the only people who know this, or are you familiar with the Pat McCormick helicopter story? <laughs> this is a greatest hit on this podcast. Yeah, possibly, but I'm not at this moment. So, uh, That Pat McCormick and his friends, other showbiz cronies, writers, would try to outdo each other once a year on a dinner that each one would be in charge of. Wow. They take... And so when it was, you know, so they would try to, you know, fly people to Paris or, uh, or like do, you know, just insane stuff. And now when it came to be Pat McCormick's turn, he led everyone to this heliport and he gave where they handed everyone a paper bag (laughs) with, with a tuna fish sandwich and an apple Uh in it. And everyone's looking, oh, what the hell is this? And... Then they were taken one by one in a helicopter where a hooker would blow them (laughs) while circling their house. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. And and they, they did this, and one of the writers says he went home that day, and his wife said, so how was the dinner? And he said, you know, it was so so, you know, okay. And he goes, anything, in, uh, how was your evening? And she goes, it was kind of strange. There was a helicopter circling. <laughs> and you had Tim Conway confirm that story, yes. did you not? I was, I was working with Tim yeah. Conway, and, and I said to him, look, I don't know if this story's true, uh, but uh, Pat, and, and without even going, meh, <laughs> I go, Pat, and he goes, helicopter (laughs) well um, it's about the time I was working for par just to date this uh, early 60s um, the story made rounds in town of what Pat did which it is said to have in fact 
hastened the divorce that eventually came. They were all at the McCormick apartment, a big dinner spread. Pat brought in the big silver tray with the lid, took it off, and there was their newborn baby. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Even people who knew Pat were shocked. (laughs) And and, uh, Diane, for indeed that was her name, was not amused. (laughs) Baby's a son. Baby wasn't having a bad time. So, so here's another one from Stoller. I give you your choice, uh, Dick. You could, we, we could talk about your friendship with Stan Laurel, or you can take another question from Stoller because I love the, the list he gave me here. You have a there's a question about a noseless woman. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> what? On, there's a question about a noseless woman. This is from Stoller. A woman with no nose. Does that mean oh, anything? Oh, uh, yeah. I... <laughs> I don't think anybody could make this humorous. But, okay, well, uh, we could. How about Robert Q. Lewis's skin? Oh, yeah, he had this skin collection of. Uh, oh, I, I think I know. Um, <laughs> I would love to. Can I take my shirt off? It's just hot sure, as hell. Sure, sure. It's warm in here. Uh, oh, help me, Gilbert. I'm stuck. Uh, thank you. I, I'm undressing Dick Cabot. <laughs> Throw that into the audience like Elvis. And it's not the first time. You gotta watch him in you gotta watch him in the dressing room. Um, what, was, what was the subject? I, I don't know. He, he said ask Dick, oh, oh. ask Dick about yeah, Robert yeah. Q. Yeah, don't, Lewis. Don't use any words. Okay. Um, okay. Which is difficult. I would love, and you would love, I, I can speak for you. Okay. To have a collection of nasty things that comedy writers have done or said to a hated boss. I don't want to mention this guy's name, but his initials were Robert Q. Lewis. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) do anyone remember him? You gotta be a certain age. Who remembers Robert Q. Lewis? He did, uh, he he was on game shows. He was Arthur Godfrey's constant understudy. And he was an amusing, Kind of pointed face, uh, witty kind of guy. He was he was good, um, but a schmuck. <laughs> and is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ask him. I meant I, Italian. Oh. Yeah. I meant how you pronounce but. <laughs> anyway, but a schmuck. <laughs> they were in the middle of the season. He had a two-hour radio show one point. And he was nasty to the crew, famously. I mean, to the writers, especially. A lot of people who have comedy written for them hate the people supplying it because it reminds them that without help, they wouldn't be where they are. And um, Lewis said something terrifically nasty, whatever it was that's lost to history, to a group of his writers in a room. And one of them um, got him. Now, tiny bit of background. Lewis had to have nose putty, kind of putty knife to undo the craters in his face, probably from smallpox, I don't know what. Uh, And and he was very sensitive about that. Can you see it coming? (laughs) (laughs) He said something to the writer, and the writer said, that's it, I'm out of here, keep my paycheck, bastard. And then he went to the door, 
paused to the door for a minute and said, oh, I never got to ask you this, Bob. What's par for your right cheek? <laughs> now, that's almost rude. <laughs> but, but good. Now, you worked on the most infamous Jerry Lewis TV failure. I have to go now. <laughs> Bring the room down. Yeah. Was that the two-hour version of the Jerry Lewis you, show? You, yeah. you know all these things. Yeah. You don't need to pretend you don't know everything. Well. <laughs> but you do it so well. Yeah, that Thank was a two-hour show. It was announced for almost a year in advance. Jerry Lewis, billion-dollar contract, ABC. You know how he got it? He hosted The Tonight Show for two weeks in the summer between Johnny and Jack, or Jack and Johnny. Um, and he scored heavily. He was just wonderful. And I wrote for him and liked him. And then it was a, this is the biggest show anyone has ever had. Nothing compares. No spectaculars, a word they used to use. Uh, he will have two hours live from his Jerry Lewis studio, from the Jerry Lewis Theater in Hollywood and Vine. Um... It was not, uh, I, I talked about it a little afterwards. It, uh, Kennedy was shot. Uh, about three weeks later, the show had its merciful death. Um, it, had been, it had run for about 12 weeks, I think. Catastrophe is too nice a word. <laughs> I was there opening night watching <clears throat> it, and I thought, they aren't going to put this on the air, certainly. Oh, wait, it's live. <laughs> I remember one joke I gave Jerry. It was, uh, and he's the only one he used that night, opening night. It was, why do people keep saying, what's he going to do for two hours? So they, oh, uh, articles, ads. Jerry, what's he going to do for two hours? What's he going to do for two hours? Uh, he said, why don't they ask Liz and Dick what they can do for two hours? Two, three, four. And um, they liked it. <laughs> Did I leave something out? <laughs> Maybe the mic was off. Uh, I'll give you another chance. What, what, why, don't, why me? Oh, that was it. Why me? Why me? Why don't they ask Liz and Dick what they can do for two hours? Well, this was at the height of the affair in every day's papers. Okay, try it again. Yeah. <laughs> Just say it one more time. And this time, this time, I want a rousing reaction. You sound like the studio warm-up yes, man. Yes, <laughs> When Jackie comes out on this stage, I want you to... I'll be t-shirts Yes, anything you want. I want you to tear say, the roof say, off this Say theater. that joke again. Now, everyone, greatest joke you've heard in your life, a religious experience. Say it. I forgot. <laughs> Had something to do with a dog. Or, you know. I don't think I ever told this before, and we may wonder why. No. Everyone in America, apparently from the ratings, tuned in for that much ballyhooed over, knock over your head, open up. And the producer said, I've asked all the writers, and you can submit your idea. 
how we will open the very first live show. And I went back and I thought, <clears throat> I said, why don't we open live with Jerry having a cigarette, which he always did, um, on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. And uh, the cliched, pretentious announcer voice saying, this man is about to enter the arena of one of the most something-something events of the year, of the decade, perhaps of the century, two hours of live television, and so on. And Jerry stubs out his cigarette and have him walk to the theater in his impeccable tuxedo and his pumps. And, <laughs> and as he gets to the door of the theater, it won't open. <laughs> the automatic lock has gone on and there's no way to get into the theater. That would have played better than how he chose to open the show. The producer said, I owe you a million dollars. That's perfect for him. He'll act it right and so on. But he had a better idea, really, I have to admit. He came on singing, make someone happy. <laughs> Here, let me show you how a joke is told. <laughs> Pay attention. Okay. <laughs> Everyone wants to know what I'm going to do for two hours. Why don't they ask Leeds and Dick what they're going to do for two hours? <laughs> Benny. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> Aren't we fun? Speaking of Mr. <laughs> Benny, we did the first episode with you, Dick, two years ago. Of this. First episode of this show, which we have to thank you for. Yeah. Here we are, 110 episodes later. And they were, they were saying... What's he going to do for two hours? <laughs> Everyone said it. The first, the, I, I will confess, and Gilbert and I have told this on the show, the first guest we interviewed, we were not able to use the material. And then Gilbert had lost faith in the idea. Yes. We walked to a pizzeria, Dara, Gilbert, and I, and he said, well, that was fun. And I, I said, listen, give it, give it one more chance. Let's get a guest who's an automatic. And we called Dick Cavett. Yeah. And the show was born. Yeah. And on that show, you, you told a favorite Jack Benny story. Oh, yes. yes. How, how long is, ago was that, in fact? Two uh, years. Two, you were two, about to do the, the uh, Lillian Hellman play. Oh, yeah, do the play. Well, I, it was great fun. Um, I, at first, I thought, what are, <laughs> I really did think, what are Gilbert and I going to do to fill the time? But it, was, it turned out to be no problem. I am curious, as the precise reason you couldn't use the first one you did, from filthy material? No, uh, uh, unfortunately. Because how a, would that disqualify? The guy was not our youngest guest. He was a guest that oh, was so many years. Oh, yeah, uh, right, he was a little bit yeah. up there. and, and uh... When my brother Chico. Wouldn't <laughs> 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 that No, no. <laughs> you know, I was, I was working. <laughs> 
<laughs> with Sig Roman, who was a wonderful character. Yes, he was. <laughs> from be, from uh, To Be or Not To Be. Sig Roman. Down below, <laughs> down below, sat the devil talking to his son, who wanted to go up above. <laughs> you look like Rhoda Morgenstern with that hat on. More than, more than uh, yeah. crowd show. They say it's getting too hot for me, and so I'm going up on ice where I can have some fun. And the devil says, "You stay down here where you belong." The folks who live above you, they don't know right from wrong. <laughs> let let him, let him tell the let him tell the Benny story because it's a it's a. You, did did you see the show where he sang <clears throat> that horrible song by Irving Berlin about war and brothers killing brothers? That's that was that's this one. one. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. I wonder I, I wonder if it's online. I'd like to know the the one you. They're, oh, they're breaking the hearts of mothers. Brothers, brothers brother, killing brothers. Call the brothers killing. Yeah, yeah. Irving Berlin. Yeah. Of all people. Yeah. And that Groucho would always sing that whenever Irving Berlin yeah. was in Oh, he loved to do that. Yeah. I, I prefer Easy Peasy myself. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Easy Peasy. The one he sang on the Peasy Dinosaur Weezy, Show. Peasy yeah. Weezy, yeah. yeah. I wonder if Berlin wrote anything else. Um, <laughs> that was the name, wasn't yeah. it? You, you want to tell the Benny Elevator story? It's such a gem. Uh, or you can tell the Dick and Liz story. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll just tell Dick. <laughs> that always gets a laugh, no matter what. Um, okay. I was in hog heaven when I got the job with Jack. In the, my legendary story of taking Jack Parr offensively and pushily some material and corner him in the hall at NBC and he hired me a little later. But um, that same building, and when I got to work on the show, I thought, my, they can kill me now. I, my job is to write jokes and then I go down for taping or rehearsals if there are any and I hang out with Jonathan Winters and Sid, or Sid Caesar or George Burns um, or Groucho or all my heroes. This night, end of the taping, Carson Tonight Show, Jack Benny, whom I'd been chatting with before the show, and I'd go in and corner these people in the green room. I asked him about Mary Livingston and a couple things. And he was so nice. And so he, he, somebody pointed out that Jack had the record for the cleanest working huge star in comedy ever. Um, so there was that, and there was that I'd grown up hearing him on his night. Jello, everybody, this is Jack Benny. All my life. So he went to get in the elevator, and it was this elevator sort of segregated for the stars. There was nobody else in it. He got in it, but then a bunch of fans spotted him and got in with him before the page could stop them. So I got in, of course, and we're driving, we're f going down, it would be seven floors. And at the first floor, as the door closed, somebody said, are you really cheap? 
Somebody else said, I hope the few people in the audience know these references. Um, <laughs> is it true there's a guy under your house in a vault guarding your money? <laughs> and, and this lovely man, perhaps the only person in the history of show business that everybody liked, right up here at the top, not down here with Danny Kaye. <laughs> um, That's another show. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's another show. And, yeah. And, and, and where are we now? The fifth floor, do you really drive a Maxwell? The floor, do you really play the violin that badly? Ha, ha, ha. And you could see him kind of roll his eyes just subtly. Wouldn't hurt their feelings. Bottom floor, they all run out to tell their friends. And I said, um, Mr. Benny, do those references get kind of tiring decade after decade? And this lovely man put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, and then he gestured, you know, kid, sometimes you, you just want to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> oh, boy. I love Can you imagine? The best. That was just... That voice that had come out of my radio. <laughs> it's a shocker. You know, I heard a story from a Volpe, Ed McMahon. And I, I, Ed McMahon told me he went to a roast of uh, Georgie Jessel. And, and, it was, and Ed McMahon was just a kid at the oh, time. Yeah, and he was, he was thrilled uh, to be around these people. And Jack Benny goes up to the podium and and uh, he freezes, uh, Ed McMahon, just watching Benny. And Benny goes, you know, Georgie Jessel uh, has to fly to Israel tonight. You see, he's got a cunt in Heifetz. <laughs> oh, not a woman, an actual cunt. He wears it for a toupee. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I was too young and naive to know that everybody would know what this was about, I, maybe I was at the Friars as a kid just out of school. And I said, wouldn't you say it's true that if it weren't for Milton Berle's penis, all roast shows would be only half as long? That's <laughs> true. <laughs> It's true. It, it, and, uh, and speaking of half as long, yeah, um, we have time for five, like five minutes of questions. Jeremy, where are you? Let me, just finish, let me just say this because oh, there's Go a little ahead. bit to it. Sure. Uh, Jessel, annoyed that he was at the farthest end of one of the long roast tables, you know, where everybody is, and somebody did a joke about Burl because half the stuff was always about Burl's uh, member. And... Um, <laughs> Members only. <laughs> and uh, Jessel stood up and ad-libbed, I guess. I'm not, I know that the joke I'm here is always about Milton's penis and how long it is. Eh? Well, I'm here to verify that. Uh, I'm standing on it. <laughs> you know what you, you want to do five minutes, five quick oh, minutes sure. of questions? If anybody yeah. has any questions for Mr. Gottfried, Mr. Cavett, I'm going to start in the back. Hang on. That, is that a lady or a gentleman? I'm sorry, I can't see. Uh, Jared, uh, uh, 
Can you hear that? Uh, no, my hearing aids on this the, side. Uh, <laughs> one, of your, one of your more challenging episodes was, was the husband's episode with Peter Falk, Ben Gazzara, and John Cassavetes. Oh, you don't need to hear me tell it. <clears throat> Somebody has put it on YouTube. I work alone. Uh, <laughs> somebody. Uh, somebody. What? <laughs> What's the question, real quick? You bring out the best in me. Did you realize how drunk, how bombed they were beforehand? Uh, being a little naive, it took me two seconds to see how drunk <laughs> they were. And then uh, they were the only guests that I've ever had come on together and get their idea of humor by taking one of the other one's shoe off and smelling his feet. Uh, Cassavetti's falling to the floor in a faint. Uh, they were pissed to all of their gills. Um, and they decided to be bad boys. And it got kind of funny. And then it, the audience began to turn away. I, I, mean, I thought, I've got to say something. This is awful. They're flopping around. And, and, and I said, this is why I never joined a fraternity. <laughs> and that kind of helped. And the one I said in all seriousness, but there were enough people who knew it was true to get a laugh, I said, uh, they were now seated. And I said, I can't believe that I'm sitting here with you three. And one week ago today, these three chairs were occupied by Alfred Lunt, Lynn Fontaine, and Noel Coward. <laughs> Perfect. And the style was different. Anybody else? By the way, it's, just so you don't say it, it's on YouTube now as Dick Cavett's worst show ever. <laughs> like, truly, that's how you, Jack Hoffman in the back. I'll repeat the question. If his memory is correct, you did a show with Zero Mostel. Was there an introduction that was very unique, I think? Was there a unique introduction? I hope so. What was it? <laughs> I hope my memory is correct. You've had many stars on. It's the first time you ever had Zero? Had Zero? Yes. Is that the humorous part? or <laughs> <laughs> That was your clever introduction. Had Zero, yeah. One introduction. I'll race through this. Jack, who was the most brilliant ad-libber and neurotic possible person I ever worked with. Jack Parr. Thrilling, Jack yeah. Parr on live television. <clears throat> and one day somebody came up and said, oh, God, Jack is so happy. They, they, somebody fell out, but they've booked Jane Mansfield tonight. <laughs> somebody knew her, and they called her up, and she's coming on, and Jack's just like that about it. You'd have thought it was Marilyn, because Jane was, you know, about here to Marilyn. But a huge star at the time. All us, the older boy writers uh, and I, gave Jack introductions, and he hated them. And we tried again, and he sent them all to the wastebasket and did one of his hissy fits of, uh, you guys ha haven't written me anything I could use in weeks. And, you know. <laughs> so two of, the older, two of the older guys went home and said, screw it, you know. And I went to my typewriter. I didn't think I had enough status to go home. And Jack, thrilled at having her on. And I thought, I'll just get this over with. One line. What'll it be? And Jack loved it, and he took it. And he said backstage, no, no, no. I've never dreamed we would have her on the show. And I didn't know how to introduce her. And anyway, I, here is my introduction. 
Here they are, Jane Mansfield. <laughs> One more quick question. Jonathan, right here. Yeah, you know, you, I'd like to see that again. I never saw the a show I did with the Muppets. A show with the, the Muppets. The question was, I did an amazing show with the Muppets. Yes, that's just more, that's more, a of, a, more of a... <laughs> Tell us about the Muppets. <laughs> I don't remember one thing. <laughs> they really stood out. Bless my heart. No, I do. It, they were wonderful. And, of course, it was fun to work with them. And there's a picture of me leaning my head against the giant blue guy, whatever his name was. But... Um, the worst part of doing it was that I came downstairs eager to do the show in five minutes or whatever, five minutes later, and I looked on a table, and there were all the Muppets dead. <laughs> yeah. <It was> terrible. <laughs> one quick one right here is our last one. Season five, episode 18. Wow. It's a man after my own heart. Is there a signature moment in your career that you think back and just say, wow, that was special? The best show? Besides this? Besides this. Oh, yeah. No, I always find, I think most questions are impossible because, well, you can tell who came in in a race first. There's no doubt about that. But when you have this vast variety of different kinds of people and so on, I could never really answer the question, whether I'm asked it by Barbara Walters or a teenage girl with braces from a junior high school paper who says, who's been your most interesting guest? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting. <laughs> and uh, I, I, so I'm, I'm really having to cop out on you. But if you were to thrust me to the wall and you look capable... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would have to put it this way. I would have to say that Groucho meant the most to me. You know, it's just I always, I was always touched by your line. I think it's something, I think it's something you said in a Marx Brothers in a nutshell. You said Groucho, uh, you felt sorry for him because everybody else got to have a Groucho Marx and he didn't get to have one. Yeah, it's such a, it's such I, a I, sweet I did thing another to version say. of that once. I, I was so struck by I worshipped Bob Hope, and finally had him on the show. And something we did earlier happened. Um, in Lincoln, he came to town. My friend Lyle and I were going to go see Bob Hope, but we thought, it's the Coliseum. It has thousands of people. It'll be a movie. It, we won't see Bob Hope in Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, we did. But the first hour was a variety show. A magician, a juggler, a dancer, um, a shadow guy. And... <laughs> we had uh, and, and at intermission we said well see no Bob Hope and we started to leave and then they said okay second act everybody back in thousands of people and I'll, I can hear that voice now and now the star of our show Bob Hope da 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 and hope glided on from the wings. And I had just seen him in Monsieur Beaucaire. And I just said, there's air only between me and Bob Hope. This can't be possible. And I remember my friend Lyle said, Jesus, there he is. 
We were struck blind, dumb. Uh, he had uh, Marilyn Maxwell with him, who was a, um, a favorite colleague of his. Yeah. And, <laughs> for some years. And at one point, he kind of grabbed her leg for comic purposes. They were standing. And she said, hey, Bob, you can't do that. And he said, read your contract. <laughs> um, and I went back around in my usual nosy way. Stage door, six steps down. Cadillac waiting to drive them to the Cornhusker Hotel in Lincoln. And um, as he's coming down the stairs, I was just like this. And I said, fine show, Bob. And he said, hey, thanks, son. Told all my friends at Lincoln High School the next day how I'd been chatting with Bob Hope the night before. <laughs> Followed him to the hotel so he could see me again. But I didn't see him at the hotel. How many years later? I, during a commercial break, have to go look in the wings to believe that Bob Hope is about to walk out on my stage. Years later, came out and said, hey, I'm glad to see you working. Um, he would met me on The Tonight Show when I was a writer. And I said, Mr. Hope, and I told him that story. He said, was that you? <laughs> I love that. He had such a wonderful memory. <laughs> We, we should wrap their other podcasts coming up, but I just, I, I, for, for selfish reasons, I, I just want to hear my favorite Dick Cavett anecdote, which is the Tallulah Bankhead, yes. Ch Chico Marx. And if there's anybody in here who hasn't heard it, look how it's backing them out. You're right in now. for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Groucho was asked by Chico to introduce him to the great Tallulah Bankhead. And she was new to New York and took the town by storm, cover of life, cover, cover of equity magazine, covers of everything. This great beauty at the time from Georgia. Uh, her father was head of the house, speaker of the house in Washington. Her uncle was a senator. And Groucho said, Chico, this is a lady. You're going to meet her. Great beauty. Great wit, beautifully educated, great in her clothes. <laughs> um, and Chico said, oh, for Christ's sake, I'm an idiot on stage, but I can, I can be a gentleman. You know I can. I guess it's the dance floor, maybe between dances. And people standing by hear the lines, Chico, Miss Tallulah Bankhead. Miss Bankhead, my brother Chico. Chico. I want to fuck you, Miss Bankhead. <laughs> and, uh, and to her eternal credit, she answered, and so you shall, you old-fashioned boy. <laughs> you want to take us out, my man? No. Okay, because we have to rush this, I gotta go fast. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking to Dick Havis, who's had a long career. <laughs> you Wouldn't you love to have the golf hat that Groucho sometimes oh, wore? Oh, that with the, the ball and the bird. Yeah, yes. it had three, uh, three knitted it. white golf balls and two little... Odd man or something knitted, and on the show Groucho 
a, a show of mine in which Groucho proposed marriage to Truman Capote. <laughs> um, the only line I remember vividly was, Groucho, I could never marry a man who has three balls on his head. <laughs> On his head was never heard by three balls that already were. Captain Spaulding? Yeah. <laughs> take us out? Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm... <laughs> no, that goes at the front. I... Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Cake shop in New York City. <laughs> He's putting on the beret again. So nice. We were talking to a patient who's been in show business for six years. <laughs> Have you ever had a hat snatched off your head? And <laughs> oh, Ladies and gentlemen, the great. Oh, uh, okay. It's okay. Get the book. See, only two, only two applauders are standing. <laughs> okay. That's, oh, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you, New York Podfest Steakhouse. Thank you guys all for coming out. Yeah. I think they like this.